I'm Wilson Pruitt, and you are listening to the History of Methodism podcast. You can support us online at patreon.com slash historyofmethodism. Today's episode, Samuel Wesley, Part 1. Having grown up in the United Methodist Church and having gone to a United Methodist seminary, Samuel Wesley did not hold an important position in the imagination of any of my pastors or teachers. Samuel didn't break societal norms and expectations like Susanna, but he had a profound impact on his children. His was a life of a world that was passing away, but what was of value in that world he passed on to his children. Samuel's father and grandfather were both ministers and dissenters to the established church. His grandfather, the Reverend Bartholomew Wesley, spelled W-E-S-T-L-E-Y, was born in 1596, the third son of a Devonshire knight. He was educated at Oxford and preached in the south of England near Dorset for much of his career. He was a supporter of Parliament during the Civil War and was subsequently ejected from his parish in 1662 because he refused to accept the Book of Common Prayer. Samuel's father, John Wesley, spelled W-E-S-L-Y, was born in 1636. He graduated Oxford with a BA in 1655 and an MA in 1657, during the height of Oliver Cromwell's protectorate. Because there were no legal bishops in England at this time, John Wesley was not ordained by a bishop, but appointed as an evangelist and a vicar by Cromwell's Commission of Triers which had taken the place of the episcopacy in placing clergy. There was also a committee of ejectors who went around and dismissed folks. After the Restoration, John Wesley was repeatedly imprisoned for his dissent from the Church of England. After the Conventicle Act of 1665, John was able to preach in small groups around the country, but it was a hard life for him and his family. He died a young man, He died a young man of 42 in 1678, when Samuel was only 16 years old. Samuel had been born in December of 1662, and his early life took place with his father in and out of jail. He was educated at various dissenter academies before going to Oxford as a servitor, which meant he got to be a student by serving the rich kids. During this time, Wesley also made the decision to conform to the Church of England. He had seen the life of his father and grandfather as dissenters, which may have shaped his decision. Debates about why specifically Samuel conformed have been going on for 200 years. Some placed the decision before the time he went to Oxford. But students could, at that time, attend Oxford without making a pledge of support to the 39 Articles. Some dissenting leaders, in fact, promoted this path as a way to infiltrate the positions of power. Different biographers have made different claims about Samuel's decision to join the Church of England, but all of it is speculation. His true motive may be lost to history. It was at Oxford that Samuel started publishing poetry. His first book, Maggots, or Poems on Several Subjects Never Before Handled, was published in 1685. Here is an excerpt from the titular poem. 
The maggot bites, I must begin. Muse, pray be civil, enter in. Ransack my addled pate with care, and muster all the maggots there. Just at the gate, you'll bless your eyes to find one of so large a size. Tis true he's hardly full as tall as the two striplings in Guildhall. Yet is he jolly fat and plump, with dainty curls from snout to rump, and struts, says Jordan, what he can as goodly as any alderman. The law of poetry's not broke, if since a horse in Homer spoke, I steal for my dear worm's occasions a scrap of Livy's fine orations. The poems were printed by John Dutton, who was the man that probably introduced Wesley to his future wife, Susanna. And Wesley hoped to earn a little money from the poems, as he wrote in his letter to the reader. If I write silly enough, why mayn't my book sell as well as any Christmas tales and wonderments that has been clapped into fists since bills were invented? I'm sure my verses, dribbled down daintily as Bro Bunyan hast, as well as the best sing-song in Air Pilgrim's Progress of them all. What is striking here, in both the poetry and this description, is the fact that some lines are actually funny in a way that is very different from his later work, or from the works of his sons. Wesley continued to publish poetry throughout his life, which meant there was some demand. Wesley graduated Exeter College, Oxford, on June 19, 1688. That year was momentous not only for Samuel Wesley, but also for England. As we discussed in episode 16 about the Glorious Revolution, if you remember from that episode, one of the principal turning points of antagonism towards King James II was the birth of his son, James Edward, who was baptized Catholic and became the principal heir to the throne of England. James II was tolerable as long as his Protestant sister, Mary, was heir. But with a new Catholic heir, the tide began to shift. James II wanted a book of poetry published commemorating the birth of his son, and Samuel Wesley was asked to contribute. The poem he wrote is an allegory that praises James for many things and predicts fortune for the new Prince of Wales and England. Quote, I feel, I rising feel the God within. There, there, I see the glorious mystic scene. In decent ranks each coming bliss appears, and in their hands lead up the harness years. As William Gibson writes, it was a scene of Panglossian optimism which may have suited the nature of hyperbolic poetry, but was not perhaps realistic to the circumstances. The sincerity of Samuel's words is hard to perceive. His son, Samuel Wesley Jr., later wrote a poem presenting his father as against James II at this time but this is not an accurate position. Henry Moore's biography of John Wesley from 1837 invents a scene of Samuel refusing to read a declaration of the king, which James II had made all clergymen read, and instead read from the book of Daniel. This was impossible because Samuel Wesley was not even a deacon in May of 1688 when the declaration was required to be read. Whatever his actual feelings about King James, Samuel was ordained a deacon in August of 1688 at Bromley Palace by Bishop Thomas Spratt of Rochester. Bishop Spratt was a vocal supporter of James, so still, at this time, 
Samuel Wesley supported the king and made vows in his ordination to continue to do so. Wesley was a little older than most deacons, so he didn't have to wait the requisite two years for his priestly orders. He was ordained a priest in February of 1689, at a time when James II had fled the country. William of Orange had landed soon after Samuel's ordination into the diaconate on November 5, 1688. But a far more important event in his life took place ten days later with his marriage to Susanna Wesley, whom we met over the last two episodes. Once married and ordained, Wesley's first appointment was as a naval chaplain. Oliver Cromwell had made public worship mandatory on all naval vessels, and the Royal Navy had maintained the practice with the restoration of the Stuarts and the Glorious Revolution. Samuel Wesley did not enjoy the experience, saying, quote, At sea I tarried about six months, where I was very ill, used and almost starved, and poisoned. Susanna lived with her parents in London during this time. At the ignoble end of his naval tenure, Samuel was a curate, basically an associate pastor in the English church, at Newington Butts, a place that could only be in England. Newington Butts was a small hamlet at the time, but is now in London proper near the Imperial War Museum. It was around this time that their first child, Samuel Jr., was born. The post in Newington Butts did not last long for the young family because the vicar didn't like Samuel. He was offered a position in Virginia before taking the job at South Ornsby, which I described in episode 22. So I won't go over those details here. One of the important aspects of Samuel during this time was his continued relationship with his brother-in-law, John Dutton. Samuel was not as prolific a writer and publisher as his son's John and Charles, but he was quite prolific for people of the day in poetry, prose, theology, literary criticism, and many other fields. Dunton was the publisher of the Athenian Mercury, and Samuel contributed in numerous issues of that magazine. He also published many large volumes of poetry, including an epic poem about the life of Jesus in rhymed iambic pentameter, with allusions to Milton, Homer, Virgil, and others. Quote, I sing the man who reigns enthroned on high. I sing the God who not disdained to die. Him whom each modest seraph trembling sings, the most afflicted yet the best of kings, who from the eternal father's side came down, stripped of his starry diadem and crown, from Satan's chains to ransom captive men and drive him to his own sad realms again. What pain, what labor did he not endure to close our wounds and happiness secure? Another work he published at this time was a set of elegies for Queen Mary II, who had recently passed away, and Archbishop Tillotson. The Queen had been an advocate for the moral reforms Samuel appreciated, which we discussed in episode 18 on English spirituality. In 1695, the Wesleys moved to Epworth. Samuel's biographer, William Gibson, describes Epworth in the following way. Quote, As a priest in Epworth, Wesley found himself in a parish badly divided by dissenters, and in which he saw widespread irreligion and immorality. 
His pastoral initiatives did not bring agreement and unity, quite the reverse. This was made more problematic by the appointment of William Wake as a bishop of Lincoln, who was a Whig latitudinarian and did not always share Wesley's view of the dangers posed by dissenters or the need to force their return to the church. Once he arrived in Epworth, Wesley began to publish more than poetry. He published a sermon on the Reformation of Manners in 1698 that had much in common with the religious societies being formed in London at the time. Wesley was uncompromising on the dangers of vice and the importance of punishing vice so that others could learn by example. He lamented the fact that the police stopped arresting people for public vices because they couldn't learn unless they were punished. When Wesley set up his own religious society in Epworth, some joined, but he was wary of them because he didn't know them. As well, only men could be involved because he didn't want the scandal of women present and thought that it was incumbent upon husbands to teach their wives and daughters. Entry in the society had to be unanimous. Needless to say, it did not spark a great awakening in the north of England. Susanna continued to bear children as Samuel continued to preach and write. He wrote a history of the Old Testament and New Testament in verse, as well as numerous other texts throughout the more than 30 years of his tenure at Epworth. Samuel wrote a book about the importance of the Eucharist, or communion, but he found administering communion at Epworth a challenge, since few people cared. In 1709, in a town of over a thousand, around 40 people communed at Easter. Samuel wrote a heroic poem about the Duke of Marlborough that earned him a chaplaincy in the army, but it didn't last long, he was fired again, and the money didn't come. After the election of 1705, the Whigs won in Lincolnshire, and Samuel had made a number of Whig enemies who didn't like the fact that he switched votes to the Tories, and they pounced on a 30-pound debt of his to put him in debtor's jail. His oldest son, Samuel Jr., later wrote a poem called The Electioneer about an honest voter, who many see as Samuel Sr. If in Susanna we can look back and see the vestiges of John Wesley's affirmation of female preachers and evidence that can lead to the ordination of women within Methodist churches, in Samuel Wesley, we see glimpses of George Eliot's pedantic priest from the novel Middlemarch, Edward Casabon. There are virtues to be found in his writing. The sheer scope of his poetry is impressive, as is the breadth of his learning, as exhibited in all his works. Samuel Wesley was an extraordinarily well-read man in many languages. He was also a very hard man. As William Gibson writes, quote, Samuel Wesley was a difficult man. In 1730, he admitted to his new curate that he had antagonized many parishioners and had failed to be reasonable to them. His behavior had led to marital breakdown, threats of violence, imprisonment, and formal legal proceedings. He was stormy petrol, inclined to argument as a way of life, and unwilling to compromise. His marriage to Susanna contained numerous moments of conflict, as discussed in episode 20 and 22, around praying for the king. Wesley's travels to London were frequent, especially starting in 1710, when Samuel was elected as proctor for all the clergy of the Diocese of Lincoln to the Convocation of Canterbury. At this time, the War of Spanish Succession still continued, 
as did Susanna Wesley's Bible study, of which Samuel did not approve. Convocation did not end until 1715 with little gain for Samuel's high church allies. Since the king, George I, was himself a dissenter and an ally of the Whig party, which was the enemy of Tories like Samuel. Another moment of conflict in this time is found in the letters of Samuel to Bishop Wake, the Bishop of Lincoln. Wake was set to visit Epworth and asked if there were any unbaptized in the parish. Samuel said none save for Susanna Wesley, who only had a Presbyterian baptism. This did not seem to bother Bishop Wake or Susanna, who had been baptized by her father. A final story of their life together cannot but help to shed negative light on Samuel. This concerned their daughter, Mehedabel, or Hedy. Samuel had taught Hedy Greek and Latin, and she had helped him in his work. Yet when Hedy was courted by a lawyer and Samuel didn't like him, Hedy eloped and returned home pregnant. Samuel would not let her back in the house and would only let Susanna go visit Hedy whenever he explicitly allowed her to. Hetty found refuge with her older brother, Samuel Jr., at nearby Root, spelled W-R-O-O-T. We will come back here again with the life of John Wesley. Hetty eventually begged her father to find someone for her to marry that he approved of, because she just wanted to be reconciled to him. Samuel did. A dullard named William Wright, who gave Hetty little joy and no family. What should we do with this hard man? William Gibson writes that, quote, The root of Wesley's rigidity lay in the sense that the world he had committed himself to in 1685 was passing away. He had left dissent for the Church of England and found within a decade of doing so that its values seemed to be under attack and were being eroded by state policy. History is not filled with only the likable, just like the present is not only filled with the likable. And yet people are shaped by their surroundings and shaped especially by their parents. John and Charles Wesley were shaped by Samuel as much as by Susanna. As Ken Collins writes, quote, Samuel was obstinate, but he was also a man of high moral courage. He was domineering, but he could also be pastoral and supportive. He was not an ideal man, but a man with ideals, a flesh-and-blood man in a flesh-and-blood world, and John loved him. We have met the man Samuel Wesley and encountered much of his poetry and some of his morals, but what of his theology? What did Samuel Wesley believe about God, and how did it shape the Methodist movement? Next time on the History of Methodism. <laughs>